So this uh, process of living that we're in is cause and effect, isn't it? We're doing things, and then we get results from that. And uh, if we begin to, begin to learn by recognizing what results bring around our welfare. It's very kind of basic, isn't it? You know, what brings around our health, well-being, what brings around friendships, what makes us feel good at the end of the day when we're on our own. What makes us, and with meditation, you're beginning to look at that much more fully, much more, become more sensitive to even what kind of thoughts and memories do I have, and what's the result of having those. When I sit in silence, I have to be with the basis of the mind, the basis of the views. If I have views against this person or that person, what's the result of that? Unpleasant, isn't it? My views uh, that are negative or based upon wanting and hunger, then as unpleasant. So when you look at the process of cause and effect very thoroughly, you're looking not just at physical action and the results of that, or verbal action, you know, speech, and the results of that, but also even mental inclination and the results of that. So mental, what's called mental karma which means the very attitudes and dispositions and views that we have towards ourselves, towards others, about life in general. You know, is it all just a waste of time? You know, what does that get you? you know, is it just get what you can out of it? What does that take you to? You can kind of feel the despair in these particular viewpoints. But if there's a view of well, I can learn something and, you know, be for my welfare and then this is going to just very hold such a view is a bright kind of a view to hold, isn't it? The problem is that we may have held that view and we haven't really found out um, uh, how we can bring around the results of that. You know, so we think, because you haven't necessarily be able to achieve a sense of happiness, peace of mind, tranquility or whatever, friendship, love, so forth, you think, oh, it's not possible. Because we ne- haven't necessarily learned the particular skills that are required. Mm. So the process of awakening, Buddhist process, is really very a way of, of, of being given quite a lot of skills and tools to bring around a deeper sense of well-being, peace of mind, uh, equanimity towards you know, discomforts we feel, patience and so forth. You begin to learn how you can operate particular mental inclinations and intentions and attitudes, how you can emphasize some, how you can begin to investigate some and see whether on based on the firm foundation or whether it's based on prejudice or assumption or fear or grief or worry or irritation you know, see which ones are going to take the skillful place 
So you begin to actually kind of sieve through some of the voices, the attitudes of the mind, and where they're coming from. Simply speaking, you begin to realize any view that's coming based on holding on, negativity, fear, aversion, irritation, and so forth. Whatever comes from that can't take you anywhere skillful, can't get anywhere peaceful. It can take you to righteousness, rage, dismissal, um, you know, holding on to various things. can't take you anywhere particularly good. So then there's that kind of sense of trying, you know, really looking into the basis of mental karma. Because mm. mm. if you, you know, you get the basis right, then the whole process is going to start to, you know, you follow that through patiently, the whole basis is going to, then what comes from that is going to come out right. If you haven't got the basis right, you can't really build much on a, on a secure basis. So actually meditation is a very good occasion to just uh, listen to yourself, you know. What particular events have triggered off in the day? The kind of fed up with this, not having any more of that grumpiness, or the, oh, what's going to happen to me, whatever if, anxieties. Uh, and then, you know, so these voices, and then we try to um, listen to those. So the, you're turning the karma around because your inclination then is not actually to be angry or upset about your own anger and irritation, but just to be more compassionate. You generate a kind of holding space that's compassionate and spacious and let these biases kind of un- release themselves into that sense of compassion, spaciousness, empathy, mm. calm, mm. Breathing in, breathing out, calming. So it's a bodily thing as well as an emotional thing. Mm. And uh, of course, it's it's so it's not just a purely introspective process. Though introspection is always goes hand in hand with it, because that's where you really begin to acknowledge the results. Mm. But uh, sort of working from the, from the basis of what you begin to discern in your meditation, what you pick up from people you respect uh, around you, and what your own values are, and you're bringing them all together. One of the core values that runs right through the process of awakening is generosity. You know, it's a thing that we can almost immediately understand. This is a good, you know. It's good when somebody's generous to me. I feel good if I can be generous. So it enlarges you know, sharing. Because you begin to recognize, you know, it's based upon the sense of not just me in here, there's a whole world. And you, you enlarge your view. You broaden your view. And in the ability to kind of broaden your view and uh, sort of spread your energy, you become a large, large-hearted person. This is feels good. So what's called punya, or value, or merit, you, know, you actually begin to recognise there's this, there's this uh, 
sense of how a value such as generosity gives rise to skillful actions in the present moment, skillful results in the future. And you, you receive the sense of a being a, feeling warmer, feeling, you know, on that, that basis, your mind is, uh, you realize you, you've got something. Because when you learn how you can share and give things away, you, you feel freer. There's nothing so um, sad as a person is continually holding on and clutching on to bits and pieces, misers, you know, sting, it's called the the blight of stinginess, they call it in the suttas, it's like a disease of the mind. Because in a mind like it's very cramped, petty, small, narrow, fearful. And you begin to consider why, why are we not generous, or what hinders our generosity, and you feel what that feels like. Uh, it's a sense of, well, me, why should I bother with you, that kind of sense. Um, then, you know, live with that, really. And generosity is looked at very broadly, not just material things, generosity of spirit. We're generous with each other. We're allowing, we kind of uh, um, don't have small, narrow views about each other. We allow, we give each other space, we give each other time. Give each other encouragement. Yeah. Uh, there's a generosity in terms of service. You look to help, and places like this are incredible monuments to the human ability to be generous in terms of efforts, money, service, uh, kindness, compassion. You know, these places very f- strong physical bricks and mortar rests upon. This good, in, this this powerful intention of the human mind. And this isn't the only one. You know, the, the hospitals, charities, friends of the badger. Mm. <laughs> you know, somebody's looking after toads and bats and things. It can be very. They can expand their awareness to the plight of the <coughs> natterjack toad or the dormouse. You know. And human beings can do this, and dormice generally don't do that to us. But we can do this, this is the beauty of the human spirit, we can do this. And, um, you know, when we, you know, just to, to one of the standard practices in meditation is it's called sharing of merit, or sharing of value. It means you, you start just beginning to acknowledge that you do good, you know, it's not in a kind of boy scoutish way, but just to, to 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 bear in mind, just to get in touch with that in you which is kind, uh, tolerant, patient, generous, you know, big-hearted. It feels good. This is quite quite a you know. It's strange how tricky this can be for people. Yeah. Partly, maybe because it tends to come from, a, you know, be come across as you should do this. So therefore, you, you feel negative about being forced or pushed into it. Yeah. And it, it, uh, the, but the certainly the Asian mentality is much more attuned to to the feeling of this. 
It doesn't try to to rationalize, is there a self, is there not a self? If there's no self, then who's doing good to anybody? If there's no self to do anybody to do good to. It's all empty, void. You know, well, where's that take you? You, know, you sit there and go, uh, well, here I am. <laughs> or something isn't. <laughs> and this is where the view of not-self held in such a way doesn't take you to somewhere that feels good. But a view of not-self which says, well, there's me and you, and I don't see why I should hang on to this bit of the experience I can share with you. That's another way of looking at non-self, isn't it? Non-separation from others, not holding one's own, but actually releasing it. And that experience, that view of non-self takes you to somewhere which feels more um, grand and uh, large and warm and uh, free from anxiety. So it's, it's how you sense these things. Yeah. And it, you know, you, you see what what you start with generosity, which is kind of certainly in, in Buddhist cultures almost like the basic beginning, because it's it's simple. You know, you can offer a stick of incense to a Buddha image. You know, it doesn't have to be a millionaire. You can offer a a thought. You know, you can offer. So it's rather you can offer a wish. Hmm. And that moment of offering the wish is just you, you kind of open your heart and you consider other people as a sense of just, you know, may they be well. And it feels good. And it's based upon a, a really uh, well-founded understanding of... of conventional reality that we are in a shared context all as a breathing this air in and out I don't say this is my bit of air you know that your bit finishes there this is mine I don't want you taking any of my air this is my bit belongs to me it just flows all over the place doesn't it this is you know we so we just share the air we share the planet and um, you look at it perhaps even more subtly level of consciousness all the time that we are being affected dramatically, subtly, powerfully beautifully, terribly by what's going on around us you can't draw a line around this is me and this is yours because (laughs) we're in an effective effective experience being affected by everything you know, so where's the boundary? And often the boundary is something that's generated through a fear, feeling of, well, I've got to hold this, and I don't want them in here. You know, that, that kind of retraction, or they're not getting mine, that, that sense. Or you're not necessarily conscious, and certainly not necessarily antagonistic. It can be just a really sad and frightened, threatened sense of self. You know, I've got to hold in and obviously there are reasons for that experience because of the the afflictions and the violence and the nastiness that can be in the shared domain you know so you you, you realize that experience itself is not a fundamental reality it's an it's a reality that gets put in there because of afflictive experiences you know it's not 
So, you see, I mean, if, if we actually were able to be separate, we wouldn't be bothered by other people doing things to us if there were no, you know. But it's because we're not. Because we are bothered by things, it does really show us that we are part of this whole thing. And so it's really unfortunate when we have to create these boundaries. But these, you begin to see these boundaries are created. They're not, they're not fundamentally there. Except we, we create them to protect ourselves. And it's necessary to do that. But you see, oh, this is a boundary, okay. And then it's a time for that, it's a time when it's not needed, you know. And it, you, you sort of sense it as just a, something like, you know, putting your clothes on in the morning, just something you do to operate. But you don't even take them off. You don't sit in the bathtub with your clothes on. So you can change them, you know, you can change your boundaries. But it's when the boundaries get locked, it becomes, you get this kind of um, strong mental patterning. It becomes a pattern. And so one of the ways in which we, we at least, even when we are in a threatened domain, we can at least think larger than that. We can at least vow or pray or wish larger than what our physical boundary may have to be. We can at least come out of the, the, the fear or the aggression or the resentment patterning. Yeah. There's a very important practice then for our own welfare. Whether anybody receives our stuff or not, or values it or not, still, it's really important for our own welfare to be able to have that spirit. Because then, you know, whatever the conventional reality of the physical world is doing, you don't have to be stuck in that. You can come back to the basic sense of an undivided um, uh, view, and that's healthy. Yeah. And from that undivided view, you can begin to, you know, from that place, you begin to recognize the, the violence and the hostilities with, from a sense of compassion, you know, because, because when people are acting like that, then they are obviously frightened, threatened, confused, reactive, and generating kinds of... They've got to live with that, you know. They have to reap, reap results of that. That's, that's karma, mm-hmm. mental karma. But you don't want to pick it up yourself. It's really important also on a mental level to, to acknowledge... There is a field of value, or a stream of value, or a, it's called a field of merit, which is a strange kind of phrase. What it means is that you can, th- you can consider people, beings in your life, who you see, you, who hold or represent some of these values for you. You, you will know, you know people who have been generous, or loving, or forgiving, or brave, or noble. You know, since, yeah, that's part of what's around also. Um, you know, in this stream of human beings. So, one of the things that uplifts us when we're feeling, you know, you hear terrible news, see horrible events in the newspaper, and oof, human species looks pretty vicious and seedy. But then you, you also recognize there is the good. And you, so, you, you try to keep your mind in touch with that. And which 
aspects of your own intentionality resonate with that, which bits of you are also can be brave or forgiving or loving or generous. And it's very easy to acknowledge what is what the skillful and the unskillful is, because you can feel the difference. Very obvious, well recorded values. And so you establish that and then you you know, when you meditate you begin to acknowledge that, bring that up in your mind. This is where I want to be. I want to be with this set of values and meanings and these people I want to consider. Then I feel ah, oh, now I can you know, I can feel good, calm, bright. <coughs> now I'm perhaps I can share something, kindness, forgiveness, so forth. So sharing the value, sharing the merit. That's generous. Generosity. And all the time, this, this consciousness that we have is giving rise to some kind of object. It can be a visual object, tactile, thought, taste, something we see. It can be a mental object, a thought. So all the time, these, these objects are rising up, either internally, externally, and their consciousness mental consciousness, visual consciousness, tactile consciousness, auditory, etc. Objects arise, and it does so, it, it internalizes that. So it's happened to you. It's happened to you. You're seeing this. You're hearing this. You're tasting this. So it does, that's what the con- consciousness does. It doesn't say it in words, but it gives you that, it gives, it's like a mirror. So it, when you... So <laughs> And what appears in the, what you see in the mirror, or the, the mirror becomes yourself. You know, that which receives an object becomes yourself. That which receives a thought becomes yourself. That which receives a sight becomes yourself. That which receives a sound or a feeling becomes yourself. But when you try to find out which one of these is yourself, <laughs> or oh, the sum total of it, because the objects are changing all the time then the sense of self is changing happy, bright, sad sometimes you feel yourself to be you know, large or small or well or whatever because these, these objects keep changing so then part of our practice is start to generate you generate skillful objects you generate a skillful sense of self if you think, hmm? so this is the activity. This is skillful mental karma. It's, it's like a kind of a, a skillful uh, choice you're making, and then you back those up with thoughts and deeds. As we begin to, you get more familiar with that process and how the skillful karma, skillful thoughts, intentions actually open the mind up to where you feel more steady and peaceful. Then what occurs is a lot less 
um, agitation and unnecessary activity in your mind if heart feels bright and warm and things kind of steady because this is actually in line with the truth so you don't have to, so there's all these creations of memories and suppositions and thoughts and interpretations because truth doesn't have to be thought it, it stands for itself if you've got to, you know, something you've got to keep creating hasn't got much truth in it has it <laughs> otherwise you know it's because you, you see what I mean you know, truth is something that stands up you don't have to keep propping it up with beliefs and suppositions so the best kind of truth is that which is when your mind thinking calms down, your mind calms down, it just stands there by itself. You don't have to keep convincing yourself of it. So the fullest truths are the ones where your mind is calm, not thinking, feeling bright, nothing to, nothing to, to um, be agitated around. And you say, well, what's, it, what's this like? What's the view like now? And you get a sense of, a, of a, an awareness that's bright, steady, peaceful, joyful, calm. There's no boundaries in it. It's not bashing up against things. It's not creating anything. So this is a consciousness, when the consciousness is becoming to a state of rest or niroda, ceasing, ceasing to create things. And it's, this is the basis where good karma bears its fruits. The results of all that, as we begin to apprehend the true nature of mind, boundless, non-created, non-creative, and dwelling in that, there can dwelling it, there's the possibility for the release from these biases and tendencies that keep agitating and wanting and needing and feeling uncertain. You've got something that you can release into. It's like you've got a bath. You can sit the trembling or the agitations or the contractions in and just sit it in that and they start to dissolve. It's called release or abandonment. Vodsaga is the Pali word. It means something like the complete surrendering relinquishment, letting go of these tendencies to grasp which are based upon fear, based upon uncertainty, based upon insecurity, based upon hanging on. And hanging on is based upon you know the actions we've been involved with and the messages we've been given and the psychologies we've bought into that say holding on is the best thing to do. So, so everything really is a result of a particular view, isn't it? It's, it that's often a view may be too, too clear, where it's just a kind of fundamental bias or an inclination or a supposition. And just notice what it's like when you feel your most difficult stuff, your most threatened stuff, your most irritated stuff. You know, when, th- when those experiences happen, you feel contracted and hard. And then what you consider 
the world and other people to be about when you're in that state. Not very nice, is it? And what do you consider yourself to be about when you're in that state? Not very happy, is it? <laughs> you know. And then we can go, oh, well, why should I, I shouldn't be this way? And I'm just, you know, it's because of them and they're doing this to me and people don't really love me or they're not really getting what I need. And you contract, you know, people say, oh, grok. You know, wonder nobody loves you. It's a miserable git like you. Why <laughs> 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 should anybody? <laughs> so you've got to start loving yourself. <laughs> Be a bit more loving, you know. And that's the kind of turning point, isn't it? How do I handle my, my own niggardly stuff, you know? And uh, it can be quite tricky, but then one of the senses of why we have this recollection on the field of merit, field of virtue is, you know, okay, can I just bear in mind there are bright people in the world, there are wise people in the world, there are skillful people in the world, and just to, even just to kind of pick up this, the, the tune of that, and just to feel it in your mind, and... and um, you know. You see why why do we make offerings to a Buddha, for example, Buddha Rupa, a statue down there. You know, has never said a kind word about me. I've worked so hard, you know, get a single bit of gratitude. Every day I give him two stick you know, stick of incense in the morning, stick of incense in the evening, he never says a kind word in return. That time we kick him off. <laughs> but it, it's a sense of you know bearing in mind Buddha and uh, what this means you know, the bright, the skillful, the wise, the compassionate whatever it means for you maybe it doesn't mean anything to you it's okay, it doesn't mean anything that's, that's, that's fine or well, not fine but it's, that's where it's at so maybe you think is there anything that you feel you like to share, offer with, is your dog? Fine, well, make Buddha can be your dog. People say, well, you're a hedgehog, if you're a hedgehog fanatic. You know, hedgehog represents something to you that brings up the good in you, fine. Then you can imagine Buddha to be a giant hedgehog. Buddhas don't really don't mind, I'm sure, beyond all that. But we tend to try to use a human being because uh, there's a lot of potential in human beings and uh, the ability to speak and act and uh, it relates it to historical person whose teachings you can pick up. It gives us a sense of this is our, our family. And, uh, you know, you can say, what would a, what would a, what would a Buddha do? You know, we can kind of consider: Would a Buddha be uptight? Probably not. Would a Buddha be be righteous? And probably not. Would a Buddha be worrying about how to keep Buddhism going? Probably not. Would a Buddha be saying, "I don't get enough incense given to me every day"? They think they are. Probably not. So you start to <laughs> check in with Buddha as a value icon. <laughs> I think that's what I, you know, that's what I. You know, offer to, and there's a feeling just going to be off, surrendering yourself to that. You know, it's a ritual. You know, so you kind of 
put, put that into your mind. This is what I really value most is the forgiving, the loving, the compassionate, the clear, the unflustered, the joyful, the patient. You know. So you kind of assemble that and just even have these felt meanings in your heart. Uh, not as even something you've got to do or have yourself, but something you can respect. Something starts to stir mm. through the, the cynical or the the uh, things that shut us off from our know, emotional basis, the cynicism or I can't be bothered or things of that nature, to be touched. And it's something to kind of, you know, just build up. Mm. Then you begin to, um, you don't have to use a Buddha, you can use any any being or thing that, that gives you rise to the deepest ma- meanings and values in your life. It can be your mother, your father. So they're also worthy of it. And these are the, the this is kind of just um, being thorough so that you you as you establish and you begin to sense what you feel most valuable, you really try to put, put a mark on that one, peg it down, name it, place it there, consider it, feel what it would feel like to take it on. See when you see it in other people how you appreciate it, what you respect and value in other people. Try to just get a sense of that and, and then remember that. So the Buddha is something you use almost as a collective bank for all the goodness, you know, however you felt it or named it, you build it yourself. Uh, and then you just sit try to use that as something you can come back to and recollect. And because, of course, you know, that image up there isn't doing that, you're doing it. It's happening in your mind. So the very fact that you can feel and and be moved and be affected by this is an indication that you've got it. Otherwise you wouldn't feel it. <laughs> if you didn't have any you didn't have a, something in you that could acknowledge that could get a sense of knowing what that means because you've got it. But perhaps we haven't developed it, we haven't regarded it in ourselves. So in this way, we almost, you know, on a kind of esoteric way, you see yourself is not separate from Buddha, because Buddha is just reminding you to awaken, to to brush the cobwebs off these qualities, to ventilate them, to express them, to have to have faith in them, to bring them forth. That's the value. That's the that's the whole point of of having a recollected base for for the mind, because it's, it's, a, it's a touch and go business, isn't it? You know, how, how highly configured and highly programmed the mind is, you touch certain buttons, certain bases, and then it just goes one way, Woo. and you put a few thoughts in and it goes another way. Somebody just touches a, you know, some, a sensitive point in your, your mental apparatus, and you can get really, spin on that for a day. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a delicate business. So then, you, you know, every day we meditate, we come back to that and re-establish.
and uh, our, perhaps our most basic response to this um, planetary life then naturally to 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 keep our sense of mental view basis correct must be sharing because that's what actually happens in our life we are shared and sharing and therefore to extend into that is our is our opportunity to you know, to to enlarge ourselves to feel to feel bright to feel our value to feel our merit Anyone? Mm-hmm.